Workers' Comp Matters, the podcast dedicated to the laws, the landmark cases, and the people that make up the diverse world of workers' compensation. Here are your hosts, Judd and Alan Pierce. Hello, this is Alan Pierce once again on Legal Talk Network for our program, Workers' Comp Matters. Today, we're going to be having a discussion, in fact, a follow-up on uh, an earlier show many years ago, it turns out, on what I guess we could call the F-word in workers' compensation. And the F-word, of course, is fraud. It is a concept, a reality that um, nobody wants that is involved in the system. It is a type of behavior or behaviors which are perhaps more prevalent than it should be. It's multifaceted. It doesn't uh, land on any particular participant in the workers' compensation system. It is experienced or practiced by employees, employers, sometimes insurers, sometimes lawyers, sometimes claims adjusters, but it's not good for the system. We're very happy to have as our guest, Connor Thompson, who actually wrote a paper entitled Fight Fire with Fire, the need for carriers to be afforded more duties and privileges to combat the pandemic of workers' compensation insurance fraud. This was a paper that was submitted to the College of Workers' Compensation Lawyers in the John F. Burton Jr. Student Writing Competition. It was our winner for the 2022-2023 academic year. Uh, I want to introduce you to Connor. Connor is a fist his first year. He's going to be a second-year law student at the Villanova University Charles Widger School of Law. Last uh, year ago, last uh, May, he graduated summa cum laude with, with high honors or university honors from St. Joseph's University, McGuire Academy of Insurance and Risk Management. He has a CPCU, so he is in the insurance biz. I believe this summer he is uh, clerking at a uh, defense insurance defense firm in Philadelphia. So, Connor, hopefully I got your credentials correct, and if so, I'd like to welcome you to uh, Workers' Comp Matters to discuss your excellent paper. Thank you for the uh, introduction, Alan. Yes, you got them all correct. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to connect with you again after speaking uh, with you at the conference in May. Yes, we did meet uh, a couple of months ago in New York, and I've read your paper uh, for a first-year law student. Uh, until I saw that you were still connected to the insurance business, I was uh, surprised that you got into the the weeds of this subject. It is a complex subject. So tell me why you selected uh, insurance fraud and why you feel it's a pandemic. Right. So like you said, I, I, I studied risk management and insurance in college. I went into law school knowing that I wanted to advocate for insurance companies as an insurance defense attorney. And that's exactly what I'm doing this summer. But earlier in the fall, I had read an article or study conducted by the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud that brought to my attention that insurance fraud in general in 2022 totaled $308.6 billion in workers' compensation insurance fraud, specifically in 2022, totaled $34 billion. And as an advocate for the insurance industry, I felt called to take some action. And that action was doing you know, a deeper dive into the F word, like you said, fraud, and writing this paper. But for someone who's 23, I'd like to think that I have an advanced understanding of the property casualty insurance industry. You know, I'm passionate about the property casualty insurance industry. And I believe that its business model is good and just. It's, it's imperfect. It's an imperfect system. But I believe it does a lot of good for a lot of people. So that's why I uh, 
decided to write on this subject matter. Well, I'm glad you did because it certainly is something that is on the uh, minds of anybody that deals with workers' comp. I do know that where I primarily, if not exclusively, represent injured workers, I am well aware of the rare case that one of my clients is found to have been engaging in fraudulent conduct. But I think human nature is such that when you are dealing with money issues and to get a check in the mail for being unable to work, there is a temptation. But I also notice, and we're going to get into the specter of employee fraud and and how that manifests itself in addition to the obvious, but you also did give a mention to misclassifying employees by employers. Tell us what that means. Right. So I think that you're right. It's, it's secondary to what I focus on in my paper. My paper primarily focused on fraud committed by, by policyholders, unscrupulous policyholders and, and, and plaintiffs. I didn't give as much mention to employer fraud or medical provider fraud, but they're equally as important. And I think from the employer perspective, you know, when an employer falsifies records or, or fails to provide sufficient and comprehensive workers' compensation coverage to workers, not only is that illegal, right? Insurance fraud is a, is a white-collar crime in, in all 50 U.S. states and, and, and D.C., but it does more than that. It, it leaves injured victims, injured workers, unable to pay for their expenses. And I think that's a great social injustice, right? I see workers' compensation insurance as a means to, to take care of hardworking, honest, laboring people and also help businesses financially succeed. So if if you're leaving these honest, hardworking, laboring people unable to pay for their expenses when they're injured accidentally during the course and scope of their employment, I mean, that's just terrible. You know, that 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 is a great social injustice. And, and like I said, it leaves people harmed. Yeah. And just just uh, for the sake of completeness, from my experience and and from uh, a prior guest on the show several years ago, employer fraud can take the form of not purchasing workers' comp insurance at all. I think there's been a great nationwide crackdown on that. Certainly here in Massachusetts, that has diminished substantially, although there are still some employers, and they're usually very small service type of employers, like landscapers, roofers, siding. I don't want to pick on them specifically, but they frequently will not purchase insurance and take the risk that uh, nobody will file a claim against them, or they get canceled for non-payment, or for whatever reason, they are uninsured. There's also the, the situations where employers' premiums are based on the classification of their workers, and a lot of, not a lot, but a significant number of employers will misclassify their workers as independent contractors and pay them on a 1099 not only are they saving workers' comp premium, but they're also saving associated other benefits or costs such as FICA, unemployment insurance. And then there's the mischaracterization of what the employees of a covered company are doing because their premium rate for a roofer is higher than a premium rate for a secretary. So there is this also misclassification of the job uh, title. And, you know, we can all talk and point to studies saying, well, the misclassification of employer fraud is greater than employee fraud and vice versa. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter which is greater than the other. All need to be rooted out and weeded out, not to mention, you know, billing issues, et cetera. So let's focus on employee fraud. The obvious one that comes to mind is somebody who's collecting a weekly check for being disabled and is working, presumably under the table, and is caught doing that. 
What do insurers do to try to combat that or other types of employee fraud? Right. I think to kind of lay out my answer, I wanted to bring your attention to an article I read published or a study I read published by the Insurance Journal not too long ago. And it highlighted the this ethical behavior dilemma in like the younger generation, so Gen Zs and millennials. And it said that roughly 20%, 27% of 18 to 24-year-olds would commit workers' compensation insurance fraud. And roughly 25% of 18 to 34-year-olds are, quote-unquote, motivated to commit insurance fraud. So I think that's really alarming, right, to kind of frame to frame the issue. And what insurance companies can do to root out this fraud, you know, their legal options are limited. Insurance companies, through their special investigation units, can collect information, collect evidence that could be used in court. And they refer the matters then to the Insurance Fraud Bureau um, in the respective state or to their state's attorney general's office or local district attorney's office. But you know, from the research that I did, you know, insurance companies, their hands are, are, are pretty tied. What I do think the insurance industry is making great strides at is, is publicizing this pandemic, right? This, this economic disease that runs rampant through all, throughout all 50 United States jurisdictions and letting people know that it's not a victimless crime. You know, I often ask myself why there are these studies that, you know, highlight the amount, the percentage of people who would commit workers' compensation insurance fraud or are motivated to commit insurance fraud or how much insurance fraud costs every single policyholder which is you know, between $400 and $700 a year. And I've even read some studies say $930 a year. And, and I think that's to show that insurance fraud is not a victimless crime. So while their hands are kind of tied legally and they can only, like I said, collect information and evidence, um, which will be used in court and sent to insurance fraud bureaus, attorney generals, and district attorneys, they can raise awareness of this issue, which I think the industry is doing a pretty remarkable job with now. I I, 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 um, I agree in part. I, I one thing that I think may come from my experience, as opposed to studying articles and, and uh, studies, is that very few of the employee fraud cases that I have seen or gotten involved with ever get to the insurance fraud unit. This is what typically happens. Insurers have, from my experience, significant powers that aren't reflected in some of these uh, studies. For example, they make widespread use of private investigators and surveillance. Every, I would say every single one of my clients, claimants that are out of work over three months or so are investigated. They are surveilled. They are followed. Their social media accounts are looked at. And what happens is if they uncover a pattern of behavior, very rarely is it working, but more obvious, more uh, often it's documented physical activities of, of bending and stooping and putting things into their car when they have a bad back and things like that. And what happens is when evidence of activities, surveillance, or Facebook posts indicating somebody is doing something that doesn't look like they're physically able to do, that then goes into a the claims adjudication level. And usually those cases are worked out. Either the claim is withdrawn, the claim is settled much cheaper. And I would say of all of the employee fraudulent behaviors that are caught by insurance companies, most of them are dealt with individually in the case and really don't get reported anywhere. So I just wanted to say that, you know, the insurers, while they may have be hamstrung with respect to certain reporting requirements, they are empowered with a great deal of surveillance and other 
what I would call somewhat invasive activities. I mean, I've had clients post things on Facebook of them at a, a social event or a sporting event, doing things that don't look like things that they should be doing. Whether that's fraud or not, it depends on the individual case. But we can discuss that a little bit. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and speak with uh, Connor Thompson a little bit more about fraud in the workers' compensation process. Be right back. Mara's case is the number one law practice management solution tailor-made for workers' compensation firms. Streamline your practice with Mara's case's easy-to-use, all-in-one platform. You're empowered to breeze through case and document management, workers' compensation forms, e-filing, calendaring, and invoicing. Learn how Mara's case can increase your firm's efficiency today. Visit Mara'sCase.com. That's M-E-R-U-S-C-A-S-E.com. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Welcome back to our discussion about workers' comp fraud with Connor Thompson. Connor, do you have a response to the bit of a soliloquy I, I uh, delivered on uh, fraud in all of its forms? I do, and, and I appreciate what you said. Part of my article that I submitted for the college um, was to critique uh, a leading case in, in your home state, Massachusetts. It was Maxwell. And that court actually agreed with you and said, you know, since insurance companies have a direct financial interest in demonstrating a transaction to be fraudulent, that interest might reduce objectivity and lead to overzealous and oppressive efforts to root out fraud when none actually exists. And, and you, you noted that insurance companies have wide-ranging investigative duties, but actually the, the Maxwell court stripped seemingly carriers from possessing the duty of reasonable investigation, which I think runs, it's ironic and, and runs contrary to the name of, you know, an insurance company's special investigation unit. But I guess what I would ask is, do we risk a small percentage of, of claimants, of, of lay people not receiving benefits to control the premium cost for every policyholder throughout all 50 U.S. jurisdictions, right? Do we afford carriers more duties because insurance fraud, specifically workers' compensation insurance fraud, has, in my opinion, reached a tipping point, reached a point where I don't think there's any, any, any return, any coming back. It's getting worse and worse each year. And if we don't afford carriers more duties than, like you said, they already have, they're, they're private investigators, people scrubbing social media accounts. If we don't do more, then everybody else suffers as opposed to just that one individual claimant. But, you know, I, I do concede that the Maxwell court articulated, you know, their findings, you know, similar to what, to what you said. But in my opinion, I, I think limiting carriers to just those investigative duties and privileges and, and forcing them to halt all other discretionary investigative duties is a detriment. It's a waste of their resources. It's a waste of their anti-fraud technologies. It's a waste of, of, of their money, which they're pouring more and more into every year, you know, for predictive modeling and link analysis capabilities. It's just a waste. And I think it hurts more people than it, than it, than it helps. 
I agree. I mean, we, I think anybody who is involved in the workers' comp system, whether we work for insurers, employers, or employees, none of us like workers' comp fraud, especially as it impacts a particular case, which would be my most experience. You cite a variety of studies. And uh, one thing that I have observed is it depends on do, who's doing the study, because I have seen other articles about insurance fraud and uh, I've seen two different organizations studying the same state and coming up with two different results. Now, you cite uh, the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud and the uh, 2022 article called The Impact of Insurance Fraud in the U.S. Economy. Give us an idea of what that organization has come up with in terms of the degree or frequency or cost of insurance, workers' comp claimant insurance fraud. Right. So the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud is a nationwide resource or or coalition, um, as the name states, to fight against insurance fraud, to root out insurance fraud. And in their 2022 study, they said in general, insurance fraud totaled $308.6 billion in 2022, and workers' compensation insurance fraud specifically totaled $34 billion in 2022. And that $34 billion in 2022 broke down as, as follows. $9 billion was from premium fraud and $25 billion from claims fraud. And I know you've said you saw different studies where, you know, employer fraud and medical provider fraud surpasses or exceeds, you know, that figure from, from the employee or the, or the claimant fraud. But the coalition, the coalition, you know, found otherwise and, and even noted that 16% of all workers' compensation insurance claims are, are fraudulent. And that's up from what was predicted in 2020, which was 10% of all insurance, of all property casualty insurance claims, losses, and loss adjustment expenses a year are fraudulent. So the, the, the trajectory is getting worse and worse. It's, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's highly disturbing and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, I, and for example, I am again the Coalition for Insurance Fraud. I am guessing is an insurance-based coalition. Yes, uh, I'm looking at a, a study by the AFL-CIO, which is, I guess, the polar opposite of the insurance. And this was reported on uh, in a uh, on Frontline on PBS and an article called "The Myth of Workers' Comp Insurance Fraud." And just to show you how the numbers vary. Uh, John Larson, who was the reporter, said workers' comp fraud is quite common. All right. So we have some agreement there. The industry uh, estimates it adds up to $5 billion a year. And there's a citation for that. The AFL-CIO has heard the $5 billion claim before. A similar similar claim put workers' comp fraud at 20%, which is, I think, what you said. The truth is that that was suspected fraud that year, according to the State Department of Insurance. Actual fraud was three-tenths of one percent. Actually, the uh, assistant to the president of AFL-CIO wrote to Tom Brokaw after a Dateline report, and I'm just going to quote, and this is just shows you, depending on who is doing the study, Robert Stern of the Washington State Labor Council of AFL-CIO, in a letter to Tom Brokaw, this was a number of years ago, says, quote, in every study that has been done on fraud and workers' comp, the employer, insurer, and provider fraud are found to be a dramatically greater problem than claimant fraud. At a time when injured workers throughout this nation are suffering enormously from the deform of the system, driven by, primarily by insurance providers, that the report that kind of mirrored some of your quotations gave a seriously skewed presentation on the problem. I don't know who's right. Uh, I, I grant you that an organization of uh, labor that represents the interests of uh, organized labor can do studies. 
and find three-tenths of 1%, and an organization that is a coalition of uh, insurance providers finds 20%. I suspect probably both are overstated or understated. Uh, But the important thing for our audience, and I'm going to take a break uh, and then we'll finish up, is just to recognize that, yes, there is indeed employee fraud. It's done on an individual basis, one employee, another employee, another employee. When there is employer fraud, it's usually their entire payroll that is suspect or their entire workforce that is suspect, even if they don't file a claim. This is where things get skewed in terms of numbers. If there are a thousand employees working without workers' comp insurance, that's a thousand instances of workers' comp fraud, although maybe none of those injured workers get hurt so that those injuries never get reported. I'm going to take a brief break and we're going to uh, come back with uh, Connor and uh, uh, discuss this interesting topic a little bit more. We'll be right back. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. So, Connor, I hope you continue your career in insurance. Even if you're on the defense side, we need good defense-oriented people doing good work, studying and being aware of this insidious aspect uh, that taints our particular practices in the field of workers' comp. How would you sum this up? What are the takeaways I think we can take from your paper? You know, recognizing that there is, despite a lot of efforts to the contrary, there's been a lot of progress in combating workers' comp fraud. What what can companies do better? Uh, Right. What can we do better? So, you know, like you said, I just wanted to recap. You know, workers' compensation insurance fraud is a common reality. It's insidious and it taints our profession. That is 100% true. And, you know, you cited studies that said $5 billion. I cited studies that said $34 billion. And, and while there's a drastic difference between the two, two figures, it, it's nonetheless bad. It, it's, it nonetheless needs to be stopped and be addressed. And you're right. The industry, the insurance industry has taken great strides. You know, in 2019, 40% of carriers um, have said that or, or said that their technology budgets will, are getting larger and larger every single year, and more money is being poured into anti-fraud technologies and resources. And like I, I, said, I said earlier in the episode, more public awareness is, is being raised about this issue so people know that it's not a victimless crime, that it may not injure people, although some workers' compensation insurance fraud, specifically on the medical provider side, um, can cause humanitarian harm and, and hurt patients if they're subject to unnecessary testing and, and procedures. But for the most part, it hurts people in their wallets, in their, in their bank accounts. But, you know, to, to wrap it up, I think that it's important to note that carriers and the public are fighting the same fight here, right? Workers' compensation insurance fraud affects carriers' profitability, and it costs the average policyholder between $400 and $700 a year in premiums. So I think that there's a it, it's a public policy issue, right? There's a dire need for for judges and from courts to not only one 
understand from a high-level strategic perspective how the insurance industry and how insurance companies operate, but two, to take a hardline approach to combating this, this pandemic. And you know, my solutions you know, that I outlined in the paper are to give insurance companies the duty of reasonable investigation, to afford them that duty, you know, given their resources and anti-fraud technologies, and to allow immunity laws to be modified and expanded so that insurance companies have unqualified, not qualified immunity to address a crime that, that's not a localized crime, but a crime that affects everybody. Yeah. And, you know, to that, I would say insurance companies already have a great deal of uh, authority or uh, tools that don't exist, for example, in social security disability or unemployment insurance or, or long-term disability insurance. They make extensive use of private investigators of varying degrees of sophistication and talent, but they're all armed with video cameras. They're all armed with sophisticated uh, surveillance. And believe me, they investigate even the non-fraudulent clients. I can't tell you how many clients call me and say they're being followed. They're not very discreet. Everybody, everybody, I would say, uh, without over-exaggerating this, anybody who's out on workers' comp is going to be surveilled, followed, or have their activities checked at least once during the lifetime of the claim, if not more than once. They have, you know, to, the, to us, to those of us who represent the injured worker, we feel there's a privacy issue here, recognizing the insurers have a duty to do this. I tell my clients when they call, I said, as long as you're in a public place and the in investigator is not on your property, they have a right to follow you. They have a right to video you. They normally log in with the local police. There is a very sophisticated system that the carriers have on the ground to combat this. At least in Massachusetts, and most of my colleagues tell me the same thing. So, I, you know, if there's more they can do with um, technology, fine. Um, let them do it. If my client is guilty, I want them to be caught. By the same token, I also want to afford the innocent injured workers the knowledge that, yes, they're going to be investigated as long as they're doing everything that is they're supposed to be doing or not doing everything they're not supposed to be doing, then they're going to be fine. So I applaud your efforts. Um, I, I, I'd like to see... People in your profession, people in law school focusing on this. And workers' comp, if nothing else, is one of balance. It's the rights of the injured worker, and it's the rights and pocketbooks of the employer and the insurer. And if everything goes the way it's supposed to be, it is a great system. When it doesn't, we need folks like you that can identify this and help us learn how to do it better. So good luck in your Second year of law school, you're going to stay in uh, insurance defense, do you think, when you uh, get your degree and pass the bar? Oh, uh, we'll see. So, you know, while I do think that I'm hopelessly defense-oriented, workers' compensation is probably the one practice area where I, where I could see myself actually representing plaintiffs. Like I said, I, I think it takes care of honest laboring people, and it's a, a means to help businesses succeed and sustain a competitive advantage. So we'll see. I'm uh, keeping my options open right now. Keep them open. We could use uh, good, like, good guys like you on our side, and, and the insurers could use good guys like you on their side as well. Right. Because right. You, you, you take it seriously, you understand what the problems are, and you're eager to find a solution. So I applaud you for that. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. And thank you for this fruitful dialogue. Yeah, it's an inter it's I always enjoy these types of exchanges, especially on this subject, because uh, it is a subject of a great deal of, of interest. So to all of you listeners on workers out there at Workers Comp Matters, I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you stick around and 
uh, listen or download future shows. And uh, for those of you out there, thank you for listening and go out and make it a day that matters. Bye-bye.